Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film The Big Sick. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast because, you know, we talk about a lot of things other than the film. But it probably helps if you have seen the film because we discuss it in depth, including elements such as the plot. So if you do proceed and listen to this podcast without having seen the film, just be aware that there are spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. It's podcast time. It's mm. podcast time. <laughs> what song are you singing? I don't know. I was just ad-libbing something. I was I was doing the beginning of um Do They Know It's Christmas? Because I still haven't got Christmas out of my system. <laughs> it's podcast time. What what yeah. kind of charity thing would we do then if we were doing a big old podcast charity album or Ooh, charity I don't know. single so it would have to be something to do with like people who are down on their luck romantically or something to do with like washed up actors or something yeah <laughs> not a very good cause in other words there won't be snow in los angeles this christmas time <laughs> hopefully not no does it no. snow much does it ever snow in la I think, isn't there very, very, very rarely snow in the southern parts of the US across the board? So when it happens, it's like massive news. Like with Florida recently, where they've had that snow in Florida. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't snowed there in, what, 27 years, something like that? It sounds about right. Whereas, yeah, in, the North, in, the, in New England and that part, like, every year there's some kind of huge meltdown around this time. Like they're currently just having like insane, crazy snow, like, you know, proper frozen style queen elsa blizzard snow whereas like <laughs> we get a few a few snowflakes here and i, I don't mean that in the the pejorative sense <laughs> we get a few <laughs> we get a few snowflakes here and everything grinds to a halt whereas in the on the east coast they're like yeah we had 17 inches of snow last night but i'm still getting up to go to work yeah i mean you know how much i love boston as a city and boston frequently is just like Oh yeah, there's a blizzard here, and you know people can't often get out of their front doors because it's so snowy. But you know we'll just do it anyway and we'll just carry on. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah, over here one snowflake um, destroys the entire infrastructure of Britain, which it's, in a uh, way is a good something. advert for the power of the snowflake for those who complain about snowflakes and safe spaces and whatever. Snowflakes yeah, are actually quite powerful. Yeah, we're going to stop your trains from running, mate. Yeah. I mean, the, the main reason why the trains aren't running is terrible privatisation and lack yes. of competitive business. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's not really the fault of the snow that these companies can't actually run their trains properly. It's the fact that it's been about 30 years of terrible business practices and individual monopolies from whoever gets the contracts to run each of the lines. Yeah, applying, you know, com market competition logic to something that's a natural monopoly. I mean, it's... A five-year-old could see that that is just stupid. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because it's not like... The train service isn't like airplane travel. Um, 
it, generally when these contracts are won, it's one or two two companies that does it. And then on top of that, there's then the privatised National Rail Service, which is responsible for maintaining the tracks themselves. Yeah. Um, and so all of these companies are getting massive government subsidies with no real incentive to improve service or or deliver decent prices to customers. There's literally no incentive for them to do it. Yep. Uh, which is, is why... I hesitate to use the incredibly overused word Kafka-esque, but it absolutely is. It's a ridiculous, bureaucratic nightmare of a stinking onion. Are you suggesting that the people who who run the train services in this country are actually giant cockroaches? Yes, that's absolutely what I'm suggesting, 100%. As is the the transport secretary. Transport Secretary Chris Grayling is sitting there in his office with his cockroach fingers like that. Going, Although, eh. by the <laughs> eh, is that is that the noise that cockroaches make? Yeah, have you not heard them? They they just go they go around going, eh, I'm a cockroach. Eh. <laughs> Although by I'm the time Chris Grayling, eh. cockroach Grayling. Although by the time this podcast comes out, um, Chris Grayling hopefully will not be the Transport Secretary anymore because tomorrow, the mon- which, which will be Monday the 8th, the day after we record this, um, Theresa May is doing a cabinet shuffle. So who knows? Mm. You might get someone even worse. Yeah. Or yeah, or you might, Chris Grayling might go over to something he's even less experienced at and incompetent at, like justice or <laughs> farming or, you know, that just seems to be what happens, doesn't it? It is. If you if you bootlick long enough, then eventually you'll get given a really, really, really responsible role with no real knowledge about how it runs. And then the civil servants basically have to do all the work and try to not let the minister fuck it up. And that seems to have been the last 10 years of politics in this country. <laughs> yeah. 10 to, 10 to 15, maybe. Who knows? Or maybe since politics began... hashtag nihilism hashtag both sides are wrong yeah so what are you gonna do what am i gonna do (laughs) i think i'm just gonna cry in a corner so how are you paddy apart (laughs) yeah apart from i'm good i've had an interesting week as you know the uh the company that i work for published the book that seems to be taking down the trump administration so i feel quite good about that i didn't really have any hand in obviously anything to do with publishing the book itself i didn't even know it existed until this week when suddenly there are all these news articles and i'm getting a lot of calls going hey can we get a copy of this book or can you comment on this and it's yeah it's really it's really fascinating i have started reading the book this weekend and it's really really interesting but it contains a lot of yeah just kind of factoids about this this journalist Michael Wolf, who was allowed kind of unprecedented access into the White House, even though the White House are denying that he was ever there, um, and yeah, it seems like there was no, there was just no, the kind of there was hostility to the press. But if you could kind of get on side vaguely, Trump would let you in, and you'd be. He interviewed all sorts of people, hundreds of people in this fly on the wall way, because nobody just really turned him away because the White House was so dysfunctional and disorganized that he got this amazing level of access, and it confirms what. But I've been saying for a while, which is that I think, well, it doesn't say explicitly, but I've thought for a while that Trump has dementia, which a lot of people think, and that he's, even if he doesn't, that he's definitely kind of a mentally ill, creepy man child and not dissimilar to Bud- <laughs> Buddy the Elf. <laughs> and that he, yeah, that he needs to be removed from the office of the president as soon as possible. But it's also fascinating to look at all the people around him who enable it. Um, and, yeah, no, no one comes out of this book well, but it's an interesting and turbulent time 
So it feels like this is a kickstart to an interesting year. And, and the one thing that I found very interesting about it is lots of people on the right wing are coming out and saying, oh, there's embellishment here and there's embellishment there. And it's like, well, the last 15 years of right wing press in particular have been basically fake news, to use one of Donald Trump's favorite terms. Um, the, the, the right wing tabloid press in the UK has been in the gutter for that time and it's been bringing the broadsheet right wing press with it. Um, and obviously, obviously, you've got like Fox News and everything, where pretty much everything they say is fabricated. Yeah. Um, so it's like, well, who cares? <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, I don't want to sound too cynical, but maybe the left wing needs to learn a little something from the right wing about how to sensationalize. Well, it's giving and it so back I'm, to them I'm at their own favor of it. level, isn't it? Because people yeah, talk exactly. so much about in the UK, it's it's always like benefit cheats. People who like are on job seekers allowance or like getting child benefit or whatever who have like huge flat screen TVs and eat nice food and stuff and like they they they're all cheating benefits and they're able to go to work and stuff and it's like that actually the the amount it's it's that is blown out of proportion astronomically you're talking the number of people who actually cheat the benefit system is probably you know 0.001% or something of the number of people who claim and it's just it yeah the the right wing blows that out of proportion to such a ridiculous degree that a little bit of embellishment in a book that might take them down, you know, is frankly quite okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. I, I the 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 state of the right wing at the moment. I've kind of reached the point where I don't care how dirty the left wing plays to win. Just got to win. Yeah, like they're they're a, they're a they're a disaster. It's not like it was under David Cameron, where you had, I mean, didn't agree with their policies but you felt that they were vaguely competent and you felt that some of them had a shroud of decency. Whereas, like, the the at the moment, they're just a bunch of rabid, irrational, like, monsters, effectively. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like someone opened a portal to hell and the evil dimension of conservative politicians came out instead of the ones that came before it. Yeah. Um, so I don't care if, like, I think the the left wing has a real problem with kind of, like, getting in a fuss over tiny things and then kind of shooting itself in the foot. And I think it needs to needs to learn to be a little bit tougher about things and learn so, to be a bit slyer and try and win. And winning is most important because if you don't win, you can't change policy. Yeah. So we're going to say that 2018 is going to be the year of the left just flinging shit at the right. <laughs> the left w- <laughs> it's, the, 2018 is the year of the left-wing bastards, I think is the best way to put it. Be, be uh, bastards. Be nasty. We need a bit more of like the Alistair Campbells around yeah. to be absolute scumbags. In, year in of the, the left-wing of- bastards. That's my, yes. my favourite Ursula Le Guin novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear amazing so so my my sort of big news since the last time we recorded is that i am doing a vegan january oh veganuary um, yeah veganuary just out of you know for a bit of fun and to be a little bit healthier um and i found that cooking at home is super easy vegan it's so easy Mm -hmm. um particularly because i i cook quite a lot of like asian foods and like south american foods and things like that and none of that's flavor-wise. None of that's really reliant on meat um, or dairy products. A lot of it is is simply reliant on vegetables and spices, generally on spices. And so I'm finding that easy. But then when we've gone to go and eat out, that's when it's been really hard because the vegan options on most menus are bloody awful and sound revolting, and are revolting. <laughs> 
It's just leaves on a plate. Yeah, or it's like a boring tomato sauce pasta. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Or mushrooms. I mean, like, they always think that vegetarians and vegans, hey, you guys love mushrooms, right? It's like, actually, probably not. (laughs) No. Um, So, yeah, like, cooking at home, super easy. It's really, all these people complaining about how hard it is to be a vegan. Guys, come on. Just get them. Get get a Mexican food cookbook and you're so you're like you're solid for like mm. half a year. Um, Corn tortillas, yeah, no. mate. Yeah, it's it's super super easy. Oh, that's I'm it, I'm really glad to hear that you're finding it easy because I think the majority of stories I think we're likely to hear about this are from people who try to do it who aren't used to a vegan diet who find it very very difficult. So that's that's a really good that's a nice little bit of positivity. I don't think I could do it because I like cheese too much. I mean, that's the one thing that I'm finding difficult is the lack of cheese. Yeah. Because um, before we agreed to do it, um, we didn't agree to do it from January the 1st. It was something that Katie was talking about with her co-workers. And then she texts me and says, hey, how do you feel about going vegan for January? Oh, you're both um, doing it. Yes. Yeah. Sweet. Um, and um, we, yeah. So we, I'd already bought a block of cheese, which is now staring at me in the fridge <laughs> saying like, hey, Rob, you want that nice tangy flavor? You want that sharp cheddar? <laughs> I'll give you some sharp cheddar, um, which is proving very tempting. Um, whereas, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to ignore it. I should throw it out, but the sell-by date is well into February. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to waste good cheese. I feel don't like that's a, that's a crime that deserves at least corporal punishment. Is wasting cheese. And if it's talking to you now, maybe by the end of the month it'll grow some legs and you know grow a personality and stuff. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So at the moment, the only person eating meat in the house is our little cat, who is currently walking over to the mixing desk, <gasps> which is worrying me. Here she comes. <laughs> Here she comes to ruin the day. <laughs> what song is that? <laughs> um, I can't remember. I think it's from a um, from a movie or something. Um, yeah. Sounds, yeah, sounds a bit La La Landish. <laughs> <laughs> if you scat in the background whilst I sing it, then then it would be from La La Land. Come on, Minnie. Oh, she looks a go. looks a little bit bigger. She she, she yeah she we took her to the vet and she's now uh, she's grown fifty percent uh, from when we first took her. Wow. So yeah, so she is growing. Um, she's. Oh. Also learning how to cat better than she did before. So she knows how to jump better. Yeah. Um, she she still occasionally has this odd, hilarious mess up where, like, the other day she tried to jump onto the table that misjudged and then went, like, headfirst into a radiator, um, which was really funny. So um, even cats need to learn how to cat. Yeah. No one is 100% cat at birth. Even cats. Even cats. Um, but yeah, so yeah, no, she's doing well though. But yeah, she's the only person eating meat in the house. Right. So do you ever just look at like her little thing of chicken and whatever it is that you're giving her and just think, oh, I could have a little bit of that. I'm buying <laughs> some chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, well Katie's, fi- Katie's finding it more difficult than me. Um, so I'm kind of concerned that I might come down from the loo and, uh, and find her eating out of the cat bowl. <laughs> <laughs> at some point <laughs> just out of desperation you're allowed one day off a week right saturday is treat day well our, our thing is gonna be um if we eat out we're allowed to go vegetarian right um but just because the the vegan options everywhere are so rubbish um so we're not we're not gonna do like a one day a week cheat day but instead it's gonna be if we eat out somewhere we're allowed to choose stuff off the vegetarian menu instead 
The um, cheese. You're allowed to say things. yes to the call of the cheese. Yes, we're allowed to have cheese. Cool. Um, but y- yesterday we ate, we ate out, um, and I had a very nice vegan dessert. And I swear it wasn't vegan because it mm. seemed way too creamy to be a vegan thing. But it was like a chocolate tart, um, mm. with with, um, with coconut gelato. Uh. Mm. Not a fan of the coconut. No, I hate coconut. Oh man, coconut's horrible, mate. You're, you're breaking my heart here. I love coconut. So, you, so if are if you I that was... one like ill person who eats all the bounties out of the celebrations tub at Christmas? <laughs> I was just about to say, bring me round when you've got your <laughs> your celebrations tub, and I will make sure that everything gets a fair eating. Yeah, uh, because yeah, I love bounties. Bounties are great. Uh, what um, Claire and I have genuinely done this in the past, which is that when um, when you get to the end of the tub and all the bounties are left, and you have a few of them, so you have quite a lot of bounties. You take all the bounties, wrap them up, and like put them in a like nice little gift bag and like present them really nicely, and then give that to someone who likes them as a present. So oh, you know what you're getting really nice. next year. Yeah, I'd be so happy with a little a little bag full of bounties, mini bounties, because mini bounties are vastly superior to full size bounties. Yeah. I think um, I could just about stomach a mini bounty if I had to. Like, there's only a small <laughs> amount of coconut. But yeah, all that kind of huge amount of coconut mess. Ugh, horrible. Yeah, like, I like a, I like a full-size bounty as well, particularly the dark chocolate ones. Um, but yeah, they're not as good as the small ones. The small ones are just the right proportions, which is great. No, I love coconut. Coconut is 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 one of the greatest things on the planet. Uh, Get it I'm in not, me. I'm not a fan. You can have all my coconut. <laughs> That's all right. Double double the supply of coconut for my lifespan. I like <laughs> it. Yeah. So this week's film is The Big Sick. I watched it last night. I watched it last night. Good. Maybe we were watching it at the same time. Maybe. Maybe. So it'll um, make 8pm to 10pm. Oh, no. We were a bit earlier than that. Yeah. Sad times. Yeah. thought for a moment we'd been fully in sync. But yeah, yeah. Um, that might did have you, caused you... some kind of tear in the space-time continuum. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, did you enjoy the big sick? Pally? I did. Yeah, I liked it quite a lot. Especially um, after having watched Love and Other Drugs last week, um, it was a real breath of fresh air, actually. And especially after having watched, um, you know, Christmas and seasonal films for the month prior, um, I hadn't watched anything that was like this for quite a while, and I really enjoyed it just purely on that basis, but also because it was quite good in general as well. It was a very um, kind of very contemporary film, isn't it? The, the, I, the idea that um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a film about this thing that happened in my life, but I'm also going to play like a fictionalised version of myself in the film and kind of put all that into it. And I think the, the way that kind of comedy and culture has moved in the last sort of 10 to 20, 10, maybe 10 to 15 years has kind of enabled that. Whereas I think maybe 20 to 25 years ago, if someone had tried to do that kind of project, they'd been, they'd have been dismissed as a narcissist. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think like you'd get the, you've, there's the world of comedy has become much more self-referential and much more grounded in the last 10 years or so. Um, and, and I think like you had a few people around who were doing that very much personal story. So, for instance, um, everyone's favorite creep, uh, Woody Allen, um, he had that kind of very much um, self-referential biographical feel to a lot of his films, um, mainly because when he's in them, he plays himself and because he yeah. can't write 
male characters apart from as Woody Allen or a Woody Allen proxy. Um, and yeah, so I think maybe you're right that those kind of this kind of movie wouldn't wouldn't have worked uh, ten years ago. Um, and the way that it sort of like it jumps between drama and comedy um, so expertly, I don't think necessarily would have been possible um, if it wasn't for the change of trends in terms of um, in terms of comedy like that. Yeah, and the the way that it jumps between those two things is, I think, actually really, really worked quite well. I mean, I often talk about, was it Love and Other Drugs or some other films where I talk about how a lot of the scenes are just too long, like they go on forever, or a lot longer than they needed to be. Or maybe it was, um, what was the Nancy Myers one, The Holiday? Anyway, there was some film where I was really, really ragging on it because all the scenes went on too long. And all of the scenes in um, The Big Sick, I felt, were just the right length. And just when that scene had kind of done everything that it needed to do, you're now with with like their relationship between him and his um, his girlfriend Emily. They they then you're then back to a scene of him going to see his family and them trying to impress their the traditions of the family. They want him to marry a nice Muslim woman, and that's all that they ask and that kind of thing. So you get the kind of two things in equal measure, and they kind of they don't necessarily really converge because you never see his parents meeting her. But then you get the interesting situation where when she gets ill, um, her parents come into town and he's there and then he ends up, it ends up, interestingly, kind of almost being more about his relationship with her parents than anything else, which I really didn't expect and I found very, very interesting because how often is that covered in a in a romantic comedy? Yeah, and I found that, um, I, I found that really interesting. Um, and you, you mentioned Love and Other Drugs, and um, this movie kind of does that drama of a sick partner so much better than Love and Other Drugs does. And uh, maybe it's just because we watched it so recently, but that was sort of playing on my mind. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, this is how you do that. This is how you do that. And this is how you bring a focus on the other party in a relationship where people are too, where two people are ill and do it well. Um, because like you said, it, it revolves... It it resolves almost around him and his relationship with her parents so much, um, and although there's all these other different subtexts going on, um, and how the what what I really liked is how the focus shifts at multiple times throughout the film between what the subject matter is as well, and it does it so expertly and so fluidly it never feels jarring, um, but at the same time it's the the focal point always seems to primarily be on him, um, without it feeling like it's marginalizing the voices of all of the other characters in the film um and and like taking away from the point of all of the themes of the film as well it's such a well put together film it's great absolutely great yeah definitely it really managed the relationships with the other characters very very well because that is often the the danger isn't it with this kind of i'm going to play a fictionalized version of myself film Um, but i think i guess i guess because it was based on a true story rather than on one's life. I guess in my head I was comparing it a lot to these TV shows that you get now where the comedian, who is an existing stand-up comedian, has done like a series about their life and it ends up coming, it ends up just being lots and lots of things about their life and it is very, very self-centred. And I mean, um, Louis C.K.'s show, Louis, I mean, obviously he's now on the on the pervert list so i'm not sure how comfortable i will be about watching his future work and some of his stand-up was always very very close to the line but i enjoyed that show but parts of it were really really brutal to watch and really it was very very narcissistic even though it was a good and funny show 
And Mark Maron also has one called Maron, which is very, very funny. But again, it's all so much about him. And this film played it very, very differently, I thought, to those kind of things, which I was comparing it to in my head. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's because... Um... Partly because the focal point of the film and the focal point of like the the, the meta narrative, as it were, isn't just this is the comedian that you like, and here's a show about that comedian that you like. Instead, it comes at it from a different angle, and it comes at it from the focus of this relationship, um, and it comes at it at the fo- at the focus of these various different relationships. Um, whereas, like people who go and watch the Louis C.K. show, they're seeing it because, hey, it's Louis C.K. He's cool. He says really outlandish things, and it's really funny because he's outlandish and he says outlandish things, and it's really funny. Um, <laughs> dis- disclaim- disclaimer: I I never liked Louis C.K. at all. I thought his comedy was just like deliberately obnoxious. Um, yeah, and um and yeah so i had no interest in seeing louis but that's the kind of impression i got of it when i caught like five minutes of it on tv was just like hey it's all about him it's like uh um what's what uh curb your it's like curb your enthusiasm yeah apart from like really smug um (laughs) it it is the impression i got of of louis um whereas yeah the big sick there's such a great heart to it um and there's such a respect for everybody, every character involved. I guess because they're based on real world people. I'm not sure to what extent, because it's a very, it's a loose biographical story, isn't it? They haven't stuck entirely to the facts. Yeah, and I was when I was looking at the Wikipedia pages, trying to find out more about the the kind of the story and stuff it was based on. It's it's based on his relationship with his real wife Emily Gordon, but there's no information that says that, that about like the details of the sickness or her parents, how they were involved with that kind of thing or how his family reacted to it and that kind of thing. And if you like, I think all of those elements are obviously embellished for, um, for comic effect and to just make it into a neat and watchable drama in much in the same way as, um, the disaster artist did with, um, turning the, the, the friendship between Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero into like a buddy comedy. You have to do that to make it into an accessible film and the big sick pulls it off in exactly the same way. Uh, So I suspect that, yeah, the embellishments are roughly quite similar and I don't really mind. I think it, it works really well. Yeah. Cause you need those embellishments to tell a good story. Um, you can't put the chaos of real world life into a fictional narrative like scene for scene one to one you need to make those changes because otherwise it doesn't work from a storytelling perspective um yeah. so there's no problem with making an adaptation that chain that deviates from the facts like a lot of people got very angry at argo uh for instance for, i never saw for, it it's a heard, good movie it's like it's, basi- it's basically like a heist film it feels like a heist movie like oceans 11 um and um, lots of people got very angry at it for for embellishing the facts. And I can understand, for instance, like the Canadians involved, who were very much involved in in uh, in making it all happen, being left out of the narrative. But overall, I think like you do need those. You need to make those changes because otherwise, it becomes bloated and it takes away from the overall message of the film. Um, and yeah, this this is a this is a perfect example of this. I can't imagine anyone turning around and being like, "Oh, why didn't you put this in?" Because it's such a personal story. The only people that would know about what's real and what's not would be the people who are in the families themselves. Yeah, um, but you'd imagine that they probably wouldn't have made anyone look nasty without at least getting their permission to do so during the writing process. 
I yeah, can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine that <laughs> that they would have turned around and been like, "Hey, mum, I'm going to make you look like you're a bit xenophobic." <laughs> um, yeah. Hi, my father-in-law. I'm going to make out like you made a joke about me being like, "What's my take on 9/11?" Lol. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's funny is that when I saw the trailers for this movie, um, they kind of they put that little bit in there, and I think it kind of gave a slightly. Uh, wrong perception about what the what the drama was between him and her family um so so i thought that there was going to be this friction but some of that would have been race-based between her family and him um but in fact it's the opposite way round, really where he's afraid to tell his family about her because they want him to have this arranged marriage with another pakistani muslim um, whereas for them, the race factor never comes into it. The fact that they're standoffish is because he was a scumbag to her before she got sick. Yeah, um, I, I, I think... thought the exact same thing when when we saw the trailers. I thought it was going to be all about kind of the white people trying to accept, like, try have, finding it difficult to accept that their their daughter is dating a Muslim. And I thought that would still have been an interesting film. And I think the trailer deliberately made you think that so that you'd have that subversion of expectation in the film itself. Yeah, definitely. And I think like the the other thing that works to that from a trailer's uh, perspective was if you made it clear that he'd done something wrong to her um, before she got ill and that's why the parents were pissed off, it might have been it might have made people less interested in seeing the movie because they're like, oh, if he's a dickbag, do I really want to see this film? But the way that it's then portrayed in the movie, you understand that he's not he's he's shutting himself off emotionally because he's got all of these pressures from his own family. So he doesn't yeah. feel like he can necessarily tell someone about this bizarre arrangement that he's got. Um, so it works very well where you think, yes, you should have told her, but it's not like a deal breaker for your love of the character and your desire for him to succeed and your desire for for them to get together and your desire for her to get better and for it all to work out okay. Yeah, I didn't feel like he was a dick, really. I felt like he just didn't know how to handle it really how to handle yeah. the family situation in which they're showing him all of these pakistani women and he's got all like the photos of them in like his cigar box which is obviously it's quite a, it's objectifying women and stuff but that's pushed upon him by his family so i felt like he just didn't know how to deal with his family's expectations and hadn't really processed it and was still processing it when she found out so i yeah i i, I felt like yeah obviously she was right to to be annoyed by that but i didn't feel like he'd been a dick no, I mean, I feel like he maybe should have told her more about it early on. But the way that it sets it up, you understand why he couldn't. And you understand he, he's got this kind of compulsive liar thing going on throughout the film. Yeah. Um, which is often hilarious, the sort of lengths he'll go to <laughs> to avoid telling the truth. Um, because it's never done in a sort of awful way. Um, but because he's got this kind of compulsive liar thing going on, you kind of understand it because he's being forced to effectively live two lives. Um and yeah, it's very interesting the way that the movie the movie plays on it like that. I think it's a very a very very interesting film. Yeah, and yeah, the re- the rest of the cast are all really really good as well. And there are a few. Um, so all of his kind of immediate comedian friends are obviously actual real comedians as well, um, playing like also fictionalized versions of themselves. And again, it's not kind of laboured, and it integrates stand up into the film in a very very good way where it's not like them just trying to shoehorn jokes in you just get little snippets of them on stage and stuff and he's telling jokes about like toast and cheese but you've also got um bo burnham who i find really really funny have you seen much of his stuff yeah yeah he's um isn't he's in uh what's it called 
the uh, TV show. Uh, I can't remember its name now, but yeah, he's he's great. I love I love Bo Burnham, um, and um, Ad Bryant. Is, yes, she's is very funny as well. Hilarious. In she's, I, I have a very love hate relationship with girls, um, where I don't like Lena Dunham, um, but I, I, I recognise that the way that she's ridden girls is very interesting. Um, yeah. But I don't like her, and I don't like the way that she portrays her own character in the show, and I don't like the way that she portrays her own characters in in various things. Um, but I, I find it's a very interesting show conceptually. And I find myself very involved in the characters and their relationships with one another. And in yeah. like the final series of of that, like Ad Bryant is wonderful, like one of the highlights of the of the finale of it. Yeah, um, I thought it was a very very good show, and it had a lot of really great performances, including you know Adam Driver, who is now is now our, our main man Kylo Ren in the Star Wars franchise. So that's good. But um, yeah, I, I I thought she was cool at first, but she's come out with a lot of very kind of stupid and unwoke opinions and it's a real shame she and all her like you said all her her portrayals are often just very very negative and very cynical and very kind of woe is me and she doesn't seem to be easily able to check her privilege as they say but girls was a very good show <laughs> yeah i liked i like um i like girls i don't love it um but i think i'm i got very involved particularly in sort of like uh shoshana and marnie's stories i got really involved in um but i felt like it had so many assholes in it yeah and some of them were supposed to be assholes and you're supposed to think they were assholes and other people you weren't supposed to think were assholes and that you know that's a very very um conceptual way of describing these characters isn't it just saying they're an asshole but um but yeah i felt like that was a that was a real problem with it um, yeah Although obviously that was my number one problem with Love and Other Drugs, which is was <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal's character was a complete asshole. But it wasn't yeah. that the character was an asshole; it was that the film was making out that it was good that he was an asshole. It was fetishizing it. Yeah. Well, we won't go back into it, but we'll say that like it was mixed in its portrayals, where you were, they clearly meant to say that you weren't supposed to like him as an asshole, and you're supposed to think he's an asshole. But because it was trying to push it into this rom com box. It, you couldn't do that satirical thing at the same time as telling a straight-edged rom-com story because you need that involvement in the character's success that you can't have in a satirical movie. Yeah. Um, whereas in Girls, um, there was no there was no constraints like that from a from a genre perspective. You were just supposed to think that some of these people that were obvious assholes weren't assholes, um, which was one of my problems with it. Um, and then the main problem with that was Lena Dunham's character. We were just like, oh, I don't care. Show your friends. Much like how in the in the show itself, lots of people were like, I don't care about Hannah. Let's talk to Marnie instead because she's more interesting. Um, yeah. That was the, that was also my thoughts as a viewer was I don't care what happens with Hannah's character. Just bin her off. Yeah. Like write, write her out like you did for Marnie's boyfriend in season two. Oh, yeah. Just, just do that. <laughs> And just focus on the people that are actually interesting instead. Yeah. Um, Did you ever see Broad City? Yeah, Broad City's great. That's like girls, but way funnier and way more interesting. Yeah, yeah, Broad City's like girls as a straight-up comedy, um, which is great. Yeah, I really like Broad City. I've only seen a few episodes of it here and there, but what I've seen is just fantastic. Yeah, same. I never never saw a bunch of it, but I saw a couple and it was good. It's one of those things I've always meant to sit down and like watch loads of. Yeah, Um, yeah, exactly. 
going back to uh, Bo Burnham for a second, he released a book of poems called Egghead a couple of years ago. Um, and it made me, I remember reading it and absolutely howling with laughter. Actually, I got it the day that we played a show at the Good Ship in Kilburn. And I arrived way earlier than everyone. And I was just sitting there reading this book in the bar area at the Good Ship, just absolutely howling with laughter at it. And it's um, it's illustrated by one of his friends whose name I can't remember. And it's really, really funny. But I was just looking, looking at some of them um, online here. Um, this one's called Sharks. And it goes, you're afraid of sharks? Really? They don't even have bones. They have cartilage. Are you afraid of ears too? And then there's just a picture of an ear. <laughs> and it's all just like stupid little stuff like that. It's really dumb, but really, really funny. And he's got a really a really good kind of playful sense of humor. And it comes across really well in The Big Sick as well, in his character, where he's just like making little jokes and like jibing people. And he's just kind of there to, to give Kumail's character a bit of a kick up the bum every now and then. And it's quite a good, quite a good role, I think. He was good in this. Yeah, and one thing that I was very worried about was because um, you see him being successful very early on, and I was thinking, oh no, is there going to be some kind of like, um, is there going to be some kind of like rivalry thing going on where they start hating each other or something like that? It's like, thankfully, that doesn't happen. It's just he's successful, and then he then uses that kind of to try and help push the careers of his friends, and it's like, yeah, that, that's cool. I like it. Yeah, I fully um, expected that too. Um, it, that's exactly how it would have gone if it had been a TV series. Because I'm thinking, I'm com- now comparing it directly to Marin, which is, I really love Mark Marin and his podcast is amazing and the show is hilarious, but he's he's quite bitter. And that really comes across in his show as well, where he's always like making a joke out of how bitter he is and comparing himself to other comedians and, oh, that guy's successful, that guy's got this, that's got, that guy's got that. And he got, gets a lot of comedy mileage out of it. One of which is, have you seen the show at all? No, no, I haven't. It's it's on Netflix, it's well worth watching, but there's one where um, Ray Romano guest stars as himself, and um, Marin's talking about, oh, I, I could have had Ray Romano's career, whatever, and then he sort of like weirdly tries to befriend Ray Romano, um, and Ray's like, he's sort of being nice to him, and like tolerating him, and then there's this whole like really funny scene where he like, Ray invites him over to his house to watch ice hockey and Mark knows nothing about ice hockey, not really a sports guy. So he like buys a really expensive like team like jersey and stuff and then goes over and he's really excited and then he gets there and then it turns out that like Ray's going out to some awards dinner but he's like, but you can stay and sit in my house and watch the hockey on your own. <laughs> it's really, it's really <laughs> funny. And Ray Romano's performance as himself and that is really good and really kind of deadpan as well. And I have to say, I thought Ray Romano's performance in The Big Sick as the, as the deadpan dad was outstanding. I thought it was really, really good and I was pleasantly surprised by him because I never really got into Everybody Loves Raymond. It's a very kind of 90s sitcom isn't it the kind of thing that would be on tv at 11 o'clock when you're off sick from school or work and you'd be like what what what?" yeah the kind of thing where you take the laughter track out of it and it becomes an existential nightmare um yeah um (laughs) yeah yeah everybody loves raymond i was not a you know it's a fine six out of ten sitcom the kind of thing that you'd never laugh out loud at um yeah which is fine and there's a place for that kind of like that 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 kind of very traditional sitcom and people and, and they're very comforting to watch it's chucklesome like, um, at best yeah yeah and they're they're very comforting so you know exactly what's going to happen at every beat of the story and it's just like oh yeah it's it's like the tv equivalent of a of a cup of tea an average cup of tea um 
Whereas, yeah, his performance in 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 The Big Sick is brilliant, and he's one of my favorite things in it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think like in the 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 casting in in The Big Sick is brilliant. I can't think of anyone who's out of place. Everybody's perfect for the film. Yeah. There's nobody who's letting the side down at all. They're all very, no. very good. Everybody's great. Um, in particular, I really like... Um, I, I really, really, really like Zoe Kazan as, a, as an actress. I think she's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else... Have, have you seen her in, in other things? Yeah. So um, I saw her in Ruby Sparks, which she mm-hmm. wrote with her boyfriend, Paul Dano, who I also really, really like. He's one of my favorite guys. And I was very, very impressed by her in that. And that's a really kind of zany, off-the-wall film um, where, yeah, the comedy comes from a strange fantasy element, but it's also quite touching as well and an interesting take on creativity and myths around writing um, without being too navel-gazing, which, you know, most films that deal with the concept of writing are. Um, She was really, really good in that. But also in this, she's a really, really good kind of naturalistic actress as well. Mm. Like, it was all... It was an incredibly realistic film, actually, The Big Sick. Like, everything, every single line and every single scene was like you could completely imagine that happening or, like, something someone would say. Whereas most of the time in film, you're like, that's a little bit stretching what would happen for the purposes of creating drama. But it, it handled all of that stuff really well as well. And, and yeah, she she's great. I'm trying to think what else have I seen her in as well. Because um, she's in this really great horror movie called The Monster. Oh, really? Um, which came out, I think, tail end of 2016. I didn't watch it until this year. Um, but it's it's great. It's about this, um, this single parent who has a very troubled relationship with her daughter, um, who's now decided that she wants to go live with her dad instead. Um, and so she's driving her daughter to her dad's house, and they're driving down this country, this, like, country road. Um when their car breaks down or no no they hit something um but it turns out that they've hit this kind of monster and it kind of switches very much between like flashbacks of this family drama um and this real terror of there being something in the woods that's trying to kill them Hmm. um and apart from like a couple of bits of like special effects that let it down it's it's very focused on real world prosthetics um and sometimes it feels a little bit cheap here and there and it doesn't look quite right but apart from that, it's a really, really effective horror that I don't think got the attention that it deserved. And Zoe Kazan is is wonderful in it, absolutely brilliant um, in this very complex role. And having to swap between what's a very much a real world drama and this straightforward traditional body horror and play both of these roles at the same time and does a really versatile performance with it, which is great. Um, mm. So that's, yeah, highly recommended that film. Cool. I also remembered that she's in Revolutionary Road, which I want us to talk about at some point, but I'm not ready for it yet because it's such an incredibly bleak film based on an incredibly <laughs> bleak book, which I've also read and is very good. But yeah, it's a real, it's a real happiness sucker. <laughs> yeah, she's not very, for, she's very good in that as well. Not for the depressing time that is January. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I have I have very mixed thoughts about Ruby Sparks, by the way. But I think it's one of those movies that we'll probably end up talking about on this podcast. It's also so, on the list. Yeah, yeah. So I won't I won't discuss the movie too much with you. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, and yeah, we'll bring it up in another episode. I'm sure. I really like it. Or I, I think I've only seen it once, but I remember really enjoying it. Yeah, I I won't tell you what I think because I think it will be cause for quite interesting discussion. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's a movie everybody should watch, I think. Definitely worth watching, regardless of how you feel about it at the end. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. so she's great. Um, Kamal Nanjiani is great. Yeah, I, I hadn't really... Wonderful. I didn't know much about Kamal Nanjiani's work at all before this, but he's had a lot of successful... Um, stand-up things and produced a lot of stuff and he's a yeah his stand-up's very funny and it's it i realized that he's had like small parts in stuff like portlandia and garfunkel and oats to shows that i've really enjoyed and then i recognized him and i was like oh yeah it's it's that guy but this is the first kind of big thing that i've seen him in so i think yeah well done to him i hope that this this like moves him on to like much bigger things in the future because he he well deserves it and i think it will because this is one of if not the biggest um indie movie of 2017 isn't it i think so yeah it's indie in as much as yeah it's not from a mainstream studio but it's from amazon studios isn't it yeah yeah which is very interesting so they're trying to do the kind of netflix original content thing it'll be interesting to see how that goes because i haven't seen any other films from amazon studios yet yeah i'm gonna have a look because i think i've seen other stuff that amazon's helped produce um But uh, but yeah, a lot of these online companies and very much tech focused companies are um, are moving into content creation. So obviously Netflix has really doubled down on original content, um, and um, which obviously gives the gift of a Christmas prince. Yes, obviously, um, and uh, so has uh, as Apple. Apple is now very much going forward with um its own uh content creation as well Hmm. so there's quite there's quite a lot that these people are um that these companies are doing which is quite interesting um so yeah so amazon helped distribute uh the neon demon which is a christopher winding reffin movie um which i think i've mentioned before i think i mentioned it when we were talking about la la land actually as an example of how to do the, the the horrors of trying to make it in a creative industry, yes, in an interesting way, um, not not because it had a great jazz soundtrack. No, no, it has an it has an awesome electronica soundtrack. In fact, um, but yeah, um, and then they they've de, uh, they've they've co distributed films like the the Lost City of Z and stuff like that. Um, I don't think I've seen anything else that they've actually directly distributed or helped produce apart from the big sick actually i am sure that i haven't either so it seems like if this is the beginning of that the kind of content that they're going to be doing then that's great you know hopefully hopefully there'll be some more stuff from them and they'll be they seem a bit more focused than yeah netflix who i think released 50 original films in 2017 and plan to release 80 or 90 this year so there's got to be a few more christmas princes in there which i'm all for (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah as long as they um as, as as long as they uh end up being good then uh or, or end up being entertaining should i say <laughs> in the case of yeah. films like the christmas prince i wouldn't say that Chris, the christmas prince is uh a good movie i don't know if good's quite the right word no <laughs> um but they're um they they do a lot of tv stuff don't they so they did like the man in high castle which mm. i never got around to seeing even though it's based on a book i really like yeah, I haven't watched that either. I wasn't sure how well it would work as a um uh, um as a um as a TV series. And they also the one thing I really wanted to see was um was Law, which I don't know if it's out mm. yet, which is based on a podcast I really love. Oh, um, okay. Where it looks into like various different bits of like 
lore for monsters and and ghosts and things like that. Um, but I, I I don't know if it's out yet. I wonder if it is. Um, but yeah, I've heard good things about that. I think I've not seen it. Um, yeah, there's there's um, whereas yeah, Netflix has really um, really pushed some really good content alongside not so good content. Um, the, the the one thing that's coming out next year that I really want to see is Altered Carbon, um, which What's is that? based on a it's a based on a sci-fi novel by a, a writer called Richard Morgan, um, and it's all set in a a future where effectively everyone's implanted with a chip when they're when they're young that allows them when their body dies to simply just transfer that chip into another body. And so it just works like that. And and it's all to do with this private detective who gets hired by this rich person to find out who killed his last body. And it sort mm. of descends into this conspiracy. It's almost like a sort of ultra-violent Philip K. Dick existential nightmare. Um, which, yeah, and, and that looks very interesting, the um, the TV series of that. It's that got, sounds very um, good. Yeah, yeah. It's got um, Joel Kinnaman in it as um as the lead who is an actor that i find quite interesting he was unfortunately um in the robocop remake oh no um, but he was also he's also been in a lot of other really good stuff um, i wouldn't buy so, that for a dollar no i would not buy that for a dollar i don't think um, i know who he is so i'm just gonna oh, he's him. he's a handsome he's a handsome man joel good... kinnaman okay i recognize his face he's got a good think. handsome face swedish american um, Oh, Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was also in Suicide But he was one of the better things in Suicide Squad. I Suicide haven't Squad, seen it, to be fair. It's one of those movies where the performances are really good, but it was such a chaotic production that it all feels incredibly messy. Yeah. Um, so, like, plot-wise and action-wise, it's very poor, but you're kind of compelled along by the performances of the people. He's in House of Cards, which is where I know him. Yes, that's no, what I recognise him from. In terms of from. being a good one. And he's in... Uh, child 44 which is a, a sort of murder mystery set in soviet russia um which is which is quite a good film um, but yeah, i am um, i have to tell you that over the holidays i watched a superhero movie and i liked it no way which movie wonder woman oh okay yeah i i enjoyed it very much i thought it was very very well done they played on the the mythology side of it really really well the performances were great yeah it was it was a, it was a fun romp. I enjoyed it. Oh, good stuff! So you're going to go watch Justice League then? Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> Have you seen it? No, no. Uh, apparently, um, it's a complete mess. Yeah, I want to go and see Jason Momoa being Jason Momoa. Yeah, I'm and I a... I like Ezra Miller as well. I think he's very good. I think it's um, got a very good cast. It's obviously just handled really badly, or he probably has too much of the the. Is it Ben Affleck, the sad Batman? Yeah, although ba- sad Batman's never the problem. Um, the the problem is the direction and the plot with all of these right. movies, like Batman versus Superman. Again, yeah. like it seems as though with the DC movies in particular, they get in really good casts, but then the the productions are so chaotic that then when it comes to the editing of it, it all falls apart. And that seems to be exactly what's happened here, where they got Joss Whedon in to do loads of reshooting. Um, and so it fe- apparently feels incredibly disjointed where you can quite easily tell when it's the Joss Whedon and when it's the Zack Snyder part oh, of it. Oh, of course, because Zack Snyder left the um, 
left the project after his kid died or something really terrible. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and sort of Joss Whedon came in and was like, I'm going to do my thing now and I'm going to add humour into it in a movie that previously was quite gritty. Um, <laughs> and, it, and hey, hey, you've got all, all of these um, all of these costume designs that are based around dark lighting. I'm going to add really cartoonish lighting and make all of the costume designs look kind of shit. <laughs> That kind of thing. Um, so, like, where there's apparently like there's bits in the movies where like the costumes look really, really good, but other parts where they look incredibly tacky, and that's partly down to the way in which they have these different like styles yeah. of 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 film direction, and particularly different kinds of lighting and things like that. Mm. Where you know you can't you can't design something so physical like costume, and then change the way in which that costume is being looked at without it having an impact. And I guess those are relatively subtle things that shouldn't make too much of a difference to films where people mostly go to them to watch stuff being blown up and watch people punching each other. But it really does make a big difference. And I felt like Wonder Woman really got it right, actually. It looked really, really good. And the stuff around it being at wartime uh, was all done really, really well and was seemed very kind of authentic. It mixed that in well. And the action sequences were sort of woven in quite well and weren't overdone and overblown. It was good. I felt like that's how to do it. Oh, excellent! I'm glad glad to hear you enjoyed it. Um, I'm most looking forward to Deadpool two, I think, of the upcoming superhero movies. I really enjoyed the original Deadpool. It's very silly and very naughty. I haven't um, heard, I haven't seen it. I mean, but I've heard that it's very, very good and very funny. So I w- that seems like that's the kind of one I would watch because it yes, seems like it's, it's more funny than anything else. It, yeah, it's it's almost a straight up comedy, um, but it's great. Totally, totally worth watching. Um, but yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, anyway, where, how did we get onto this from talking about <laughs> the big sick? I have no idea. But well, let's go. Let's go back on track. Back on track yeah. with the big um, sick. You were, you started talking about Holly Hunter before I interrupted you, um, and her performance is really really good as well as as um, Emily's mum. And at first, you you think she she's quite aloof. Both of them are quite aloof with him, and they're hanging out with him. And then they decide to go and see him perform comedy. And there's an amazing, a really amazing moment where the kind of the switch in the character where you, it's, it's a really good way to do characters surprising you. So characters surprising you is always a good way to, to build them, obviously. And sometimes it works and sometimes it falls flat. And this one really works, which is that um, Kumail gets heckled by a guy who says, go back to ISIS, which is obviously a really horrible thing to say. Um, but everyone else in the comedy club's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to get involved because this guy's obviously a dick and he's just going to carry on. But she's like, I am totally going to get involved with this and I'm going to defend Kamal and I'm going to like heckle this guy back. And she like, she's obviously like, she really, really goes to town on the guy and it's great. And it's the moment that's the real shift where you realize that the parents are really on his side, but they haven't been able to say it because it's, it's slightly complicated. So it's about articulating the things in that relationship it's a really good way to play that and her performance when she's hitting back at the guy is absolutely is really really good but then that leads to ray's best bit where he's like he's shouting in the guy's face and he goes i got levels motherfucker (laughs) so good (laughs) yeah that's really good actually that whole scene and it kind of shows like um the idea that like you can be a um you can have problems with someone but then you can still call out someone being a racist fuck to them, even if you're, yeah. And, and like, I think that's a really important uh, sort of, like, side bit of this movie is, like, it would have been so easy to, like, just focus on on race in this film. But instead, it's kind of there as a continual subtext 
um with his own family's traditions and then with just with that like slight moment there and just with the occasional offhand joke that he makes that shows kind of like racial tensions um and it's really interesting the way that this movie talks about race it does it in a very clever way that most movies would overlook um in favor of doing something much more on the nose and yeah it's another another example of how this movie is nearly perfect in the way that it's handled yeah it's it's it handles race really well and it's not the focus of the film at all but it's always there as an undercurrent and it informs the drama of the film really really well without feeling tacked on at all so yeah you could really really go to town on a film like this on the fact that a guy shouts you know go back to isis at a pakistani comedian which is a horrible really horrible racist and terrible thing to say but it's used in a way to spark comedy and drama in a funny and enlightening way and yeah and the, obviously the the way that his his family is it's there are, it's it's obviously it's it's stereotyping isn't it to say that like you know pakistani parents want their, their kids to marry you know to marry a nice muslim girl and stuff but it's also true in many ways and that was his family experience and stuff so it presents that in a very very interesting and funny way as well where the very final scene where he's moving to new york and the mum won't talk to him because he's revealed that he won't he won't marry a Pakistani woman and he's in love with a white girl. And the dad comes up to him and the mum's baked him this thing of his favourite um is it it's like mutton biryani, which yeah, is his favourite yeah. uh, with extra potatoes and that's is so touching and it that really, really but she's still in the car and she won't talk to him and that really, really gets to the heart of, you know, his, trying to present his his race and his his story in terms of his racial background and family really, really well but it's not laboured at all. Yeah, exactly. And it, it does it, it... It's so natural. Everything feels so natural in this film. It's like you're... It's, it's like it's taken a, um, a like deep cut straight into these people's lives and just injected you into it with no requirement to have overblown context and just put you there and and just made you just like a guest in these people's lives for for one of the most traumatic periods of their lives um and it's so beautifully done it's it i cannot stress enough how wonderfully put together this film is yeah it's it's really natural is the right word i would also say that it's realistic but often films that try to present things in a in an overly realistic way end up being boring where it's like you just see your character sitting around having a cup of tea, scratching their ass or whatever. It still manages to find the bits of the drama that are interesting whilst presenting them in a very realistic way. And I guess that's that is, is down to the script, really, being things yeah, I mean, that people the, would actually say to each other. Yeah, the, the best example of that is is Boyhood, the movie that took 12 years to make. And you think, 12 years, and this is the best you could do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think Richard Linklater is very good. I, I've enjoyed most of his work. There are bits of his work that is really amazing, and bits of his work that are terrible, and a lot of stuff in between. Um, and I, I enjoyed Boyhood, but yeah, it felt like it was just an overly conceptualized project and a very, very interesting idea that just only got sixty-five percent of the way there. But kudos to him for trying. Yeah, a fair, fair play for trying. But next time, if you're making a movie over twelve years, write a good script. <laughs> If you if you want us to be invested in a character over twelve years of filming, don't make him into a boring slacker that no one cares about. You've done that already. But that's make it. That's make... his thing. That's what he does in it, every film. It is, but if, given twelve years, you can come up with a more interesting character than lazy slacker. Come on, man. Give him superpowers. Yeah. Make, make him like... into Wonder Woman. I'd like to see Richard Inglater do a superhero film. Actually, <laughs> slacker man. 
yeah. That's Slacker like, man. He's got something interesting, Slacker man. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be easy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Link, Linklater's <laughs> got something interesting coming up. Um, what is it? Oh yeah, he's directing the film of written and directed the film of Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which is one of my favorite books of a few years ago. Do you ever read it? No, I've not read it. I will send it to you. It's written by Maria Semple, who is a TV writer. She had some credits on writing Arrested Development and a few other things. It's a really, really hilarious book set in Seattle and about, about a girl um, whose dad, I think, works for Microsoft and the mum is like a full-time mum and the mum disappears. And yeah, it's a really, really interesting and funny look at the Seattle Microsoft culture. And there's other levels to it oh, as well. Okay. So I'm ex- I think Linklater is a good person to be on that project. And that's coming out this year. That's cool. My, my favourite thing that Richard Linklater's done, which might sound a bit weird for people who know him for his more more traditional work, but he did A Scanner Darkly, mm. um, the Philip K. Dick adaptation, um, which is a really twisting, turning book about espionage and deception and drug addiction. Um, and he kind of perfectly encapsulated it, and he chose this very odd, like, retroscopic um, animation style to it which gives it this really off-the-wall feel all the way through and just makes it feel incredibly unnerving. And it's got all these weird moments of comedy and, and all of this real paranoia and sadness and drama in it. And like, it's a really fantastic film. It's um, it's great. The animation style really suits the strangeness of it. It's a very, mm. it's very unique in that respect. And, it, and it's one of those things where there's a lot of characters who have like... Um, they have very bad side effects uh, to the drugs that they're taking. And the fact that it's animated in that way allows them to portray those um, hallucinations and things like that in a way without it feeling fake. Um, it's it's a really well put together movie. Yeah. Um, totally, and also, totally do, worth you, do you want to know its um its Rotten Tomatoes percentage? What's it? What's its Rotten Tomatoes percentage? Sixty nine. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but interestingly, before Sunrise um, has a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes, there can't be many films like, that have that. Yeah, I, I, I have, I have a, a, a um, love hate, primarily hate relationship with Rotten Tomatoes because I find that there's so much put on the the, the Rotten Tomatoes percentage score, whereas in fact the way that it sort of frames its movies. Um, and its rating system isn't necessarily the way that most audiences think of it. So they might think, "Oh, one hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes score—that's really good." But really, like a better a better metric would be Metacritic, if you want yeah. an overall percentage of how good a movie is. And Whereas, in the like, same a lot of column, movies, oh, there's it's got Rotten Tomatoes and then Metacritic next to it. And on Metacritic, it has seventy-seven. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other, so it's the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes, but relatively low on the Metacritic score, which gives, let's see, Scanner Darkly seventy three. Although Boyhood, Boyhood's about. got a hundred on Metacritic. Ugh! <laughs> Everybody loved it because it took twelve years to make. Did yeah. you know that it took twelve years to make, and that's a really big achievement? <laughs> Sorry, how it, long it, did it take to make? It took 12 years, Paddy. 12 years to make a movie. Which, you know, I mean, if, if that's not worthy of a 10 out of 10, I don't know what is. Yeah. Um, yeah, 20 out of 12 years to make for Boyhood. Greatest movie ever made. Definitely not dull. Definitely not a wasted opportunity. <laughs> Definitely not overly long. <laughs> um, 
but yeah yeah so so rotten tomatoes it tells you what is positive and how many people thought it was positive or negative which i don't think is necessarily the best way to measure it when someone looks at it and goes oh wow this film got got a got a um a 100 percent or oh this film only got a 50 percent on rotten tomatoes that's rubbish it's an incredibly blunt instrument Yes. Kind of kind of similar to trying to boil down the complexity of a question such as EU membership to a yes or no answer. <laughs> Are you saying that Rotten Tomatoes is like Brexit? Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is the Brexit of film criticism. <laughs> Whereas of course we're gonna have lots of rotten fruit and vegetables in this country because there won't be any around to pick them anymore. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah. Very, very true. Um so yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brexit. Thanks, Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. <laughs> Thanks, Richard Linklater. <laughs> <laughs> Your movie took 12 years to make. You could have spent those 12 years trying to make us stay in the European Union, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all his fault. Have you seen um, Everybody Wants Some, incidentally? just No, I haven't. No. That is one of my, if possibly my favourite film of his. Obviously, I'm very, very biased because a lot of it is about baseball, but it's it's good. We should talk about that at some point. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, I'd be up for that. Cool. So that's we've got lots of kind of future things to talk about out of this out of this podcast. We we good. have, yeah. What else do we need to say about the big sick? Let's see. Uh, just one more line that made me absolutely howl with laughter. So Ray Ray Romano again. He's talking about that they're like Googling symptoms and hospitals and stuff. And he goes, you go online, it's never good. You go online, they hated Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh so much. <laughs> that whole bit where they're looking up and it's like hiccups are a form of cancer, that kind of thing, a symptom of cancer, that that yeah. whole section. Um, well, that... Yeah, I, I think Ray Romano is one of my favourite things about this film. He's brilliant. But that line was just so perfect because it's such a kind of dad line, isn't it? It's such yeah. a good kind of dad yeah he's, per- he's a perfect dad character and that he's supportive but also you know a little bit cranky and has his his own issues as well and he confides in Camille and they have end up having this really interesting intimacy as well and yeah it's very very well done yeah definitely that i mean like that all of the interpersonal relationships in this movie are so good um yeah it's yeah it's brilliant I found the ending was just a tiny bit flat, which I think is it's kind of the nature of the beast, isn't it? Where you know it doesn't you kind of know already or at least I I couldn't keep myself from googling the biographical details or stuff behind the film and I I would venture to say that probably most people have some idea watching this that you know they eventually do end up together or whatever. But yeah, so the ending after they they kind of they don't they they break up and then they almost get back together again. But she says, "I can't be the person who is responsible for you not being in touch with your family. I don't want to get between you and your family." So they don't get together. And then he moves to New York, and then we see him doing stand up in New York, and she's in the audience, and they have the same conversation that they had at the beginning of the film, which that I thought was smart and nice. But then it kind of ends there. So you know that they end up together, really, but you're not really shown anything about it. And the only reason I wanted more from it is because I wanted to know what made them able to overcome her idea that she couldn't come between him and his family. And that that you don't see. And I would have found that interesting. So the ending yeah. is just kind of... Obviously, they end up together. Bye. Yeah, I, I, I would have liked to have seen that as well. Is what changed whether it's like it could be something as simple as seeing that he has 
moved away from his family to New York to pursue a life that they would not be comfortable with. Um, and, and that alone is enough reason for her to decide, okay, I'm not the only reason that I'm stopping him and his family from being on the same wavelength. Um, so that's how she decides that she then wants to, to take that step. Um, but yeah, I just would have liked a little bit more information on that. And maybe, you know, they could do the big sick too. Yeah. Uh, lost in New York. <laughs> yeah. With, um, with Tim Curry and a cameo from Donald Trump. Yeah, we could do that. Let's do uh, guys. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast on the vague off chance that you stumbled upon this whilst searching for your own movie, um yeah, yeah go make it go make make a slapstick comedy romp sequel but keep all of the real world wonders that you had in the original please do that yeah. that's our challenge for you the world needs this come well on journey <laughs> please i'm begging you yeah come on we believe in you you've made yeah. a nearly perfect movie make it perfect you can, you can do by it. having like uh criminals getting slapped in the face with a frying pan and you can get back um Brenda Fricker, who was the bird lady. She's still around. Yes. Still yes. acting very, very well, as we know from Cloudburst last year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, yeah, all of these people are still around. Although I believe Tim Curry is in a wheelchair. Oh. Yeah, he's not very well, yeah. unfortunately. Which is a real shame. Yeah, poor old Tim. He's a wonderful actor. Speaking of which, we recently just randomly stumbled upon Clue on Netflix. Oh my God, it? Paddy, it's so good. So good. <laughs> It really made me chuckle. It was it was it was a very bizarre and funny film. I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's very yeah. Odd, it's it's completely off the wall, isn't it? It's wonderful. Um, yeah. absolutely wonderful movie. It's um, um yeah. For those who don't know Clue, or for American listeners will know Clue as the boot, the board game that in the UK is known as Cluedo. Um, so they decided to make a film of a board game in 1985 and it's really is it 85 it's around then yeah and it's, it's about really then. hilarious and strange and it's 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 i think didn't do very well at the time but now has something of a cult following and it's that kind of film that yeah deserves to have a, a cult following with how weird and funny it is yeah it's 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 completely off the wall and it takes steps that you're not expecting in really clever ways um but at the same time it's also really dumb yeah. Um, so it, it's, it, it hits all of the right notes. It's really stupid, but also really clever and just absolutely hilarious. It's um, silly it, in it a really good way. It does have a problem. It, it does have a problem in that it continues the issues with the initial board game between the narrative structure and um, what the audience expects versus what the audience wants to happen. And particularly in the game, that's a factor where you're playing it and you're like, oh no, maybe I don't want to solve this murder. And you know that there's an official term for that, Paddy. What? Credo narrative dissonance. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> <laughs> that, nice. That's a, that's a nice. terrible joke for all of you um, narrative structure geeks out there. You thought I was going to get that, geeks. but I didn't because I'm a dummy. <laughs> that that uh, I think I that might dirty. be your best work. I think you might have just peaked. <laughs> right, I'm retiring. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's very, very funny. Go and watch it now. It's on Netflix. Yeah, get on it. And or maybe more it's free on go Amazon. And see, go and see the Big Sick. More importantly, yes, do. I boy. highly recommend it. 
The only other moment I wanted to mention was that he has kind of a breakdown when he's in the uh, going to the drive drive through at this burger restaurant and asks for four slices of cheese and a burger and they won't give it to him. So he he gets out of the car and then he takes the bin and like throws all the rubbish all over the ground and then he like apologizes and starts picking it up, which is just <laughs> such an excellent breakdown. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's. Um... That's again one of those great moments where <laughs> it's the bit where the guy turns around and is just like, "This is my first day." <laughs> it's just oh, it's so sad. Yeah, it's very very good. Um, so, so I, is there? I think anything yeah, I think else I'm. You want I to... think I'm done. No, I think I am done with the big sick. I would watch it again for sure. Also, just to say, it was quite long. It was just over two hours long. But it felt mm. infinitely shorter than Love and Other Drugs, which was about ten minutes shorter. <laughs> yeah, you're um, you're bang on right about that. Um, yeah. So the length felt felt good. It, it actually worked quite a lot. I mean, there are sure I'm sure if you were ruthless, there were one or two scenes you could have cut, but mostly it was yeah. It the length felt fine. Yeah, it was great. Like no problems whatsoever in that respect for me. I thought it was absolutely perfect. Um, which yeah, don't say often on this podcast. I'm normally a little bit grumpy. Yeah, but um, it was yeah, it was really well put together. Oh, and they also made the joke about how Americans pronounce the name Craig completely fucking wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, I'm usually I'm not the kind of person who usually likes to make a joke out of American pronunciations because like it often ends up acting a bit kind of we're British and we're superior when actually we are completely in the toilet but on this in this instance <laughs> Craig is written C-R-A-I-G Greg is written G-R-E-G very different obviously very different completely wrong Craig Greg not Craig or Greg Greg <laughs> Greg Wallace. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, I was glad that they made a joke about that. That very much did highlight how wrong it is. Yeah, I I appreciated that as well. Like you said, I'm actually like I generally fight the corner of American English whenever I hear sort of British English snobs perk up and say, "Oh, aluminum instead of aluminium." It's just like, dude, get a fucking life. Yeah. That's, that's is my general response to it. Um, and that, you know, languages are constantly shifting and changing thing. Of course, two countries that have been separated by an ocean will have slight deviations in the way that they use a language over the space of a couple of hundred years, you know, um, yeah. get over it already. Um, but yeah, I don't understand the, the Craig thing. No. The one that fascinates me is is herbs for herbs. Yeah, which I think is not all Americans. It's only some states or some dialects. But yeah, herbal tea. I find that one yeah. very interesting. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's a quite an interesting one because also, obviously, herb is a name as well. Herbert. Herbert. Herb Hoover. But I've never heard any Americans refer to someone called Herb as Herb. Herb. Hi, I'm Herb. Yeah, I've not heard that. So the name Herb seems to remain Herb. And please, please from... if there's any Americans who are listening to this episode, if you know of anyone called Herb who is referred to as Herb in various different parts of the country, please let us know. But I've not heard that before. Yeah, and it has to be Herb shortened to Herb, not not Keith Urban, because I'm sure he refers to himself <laughs> as Herb sometimes. <laughs> the Herb. 
the herb. Smoking the herb. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, rating scale. Got any ideas? Oh, I've got some trivia first. Okay, trivia. Jumping the gun. So, so So, the bit where they discovered the pictures of the women... That didn't happen in real life. That was um, okay. added for dramatic effect. Yeah, that, which, seem, that you know, seems like it would have been a strange thing to do, but totally yes. believable. Yes. Um, the real life Emily Gordon um, has a cameo at the end in the comedy club. Ah, I so didn't she's, she's She's in that, in that comedy club. Um, yeah, so, yeah, which I think is nice, given that she was so involved in the creation of the film. Have a little sneaky cameo. Um, in The Disaster Artist, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero are supposed to have cameos, aren't they? Yeah. Tommy's but one I... was after the credits. So oh, did was you... it? Yeah. I it, it was originally supposed to be... I did because I had heard that that was when it appeared. But it was originally uh, okay. supposed to be in, in the film, and then they, they moved it out. So it was in the party scene, and I couldn't really see why they moved it out, other than to to throw a thing at the end for the fans where it would have made complete sense in the party scene it's basically he plays this weird party guest who has a conversation with james franco as tommy and it's like yeah haha it's tommy wiseau and a mustache but i could i didn't recall <laughs> i think greg sestero's cameo was cut out actually oh uh, okay it was too um too good the, the the one thing that uh that always interests me about um about it is that uh, James Dave Franco rather is quite short and yeah. Greg Sestero is a very tall man <laughs> so when you see them standing together you're like hmm interesting casting decision but I mean Dave Dave Franco does a perfect job of of being Greg Sestero though he's really he good does. in that role his performance is excellent you just need to put him on some stilts just to get the height difference right because Greg, Greg Sestero must be what six foot two or something yeah, something he's like very, that. He's very tall, very he, tall guy. He's definitely quite a lot taller than Tommy. Yeah. They didn't bother to force the perspective, which could have made it look stupid. But Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, it, all, it all looks very nice and real. Um, but yeah, anyway, there, that, that, those were my two little bits of trivia. You got a nice cameo. and um, Love that, a good cameo. That, and that, that very dramatic scene. Um, the other the other thing is that obviously there's lots of stuff about Kamal having uh, a love for the X Files. Oh yeah, um, but and He's he got was the in, theme tune as his ringtone. Yes, and and he was in uh, the X Files in the reboot that happened in 2016. That's cool. Um, in an episode, so it's like yeah, he got to be in the X Files. Oh, I'm Which very one? very happy for him. He he Which deserves I was in the X Files. Yeah, Gillian Anderson has said that she will not be returning to the X Files. So if Dear, dear creators of the X-Files, if you need someone to fill her shoes, let me know. Oh. And I would be more than willing to be the sceptical member uh, opposite David Duchovny. You could definitely do it. I, I'm very good at looking the other way while aliens do stuff and then turning around <laughs> and they're gone and being like, Mulder, there's no aliens here. We're, we're always doing that every day, aren't we? Yeah, every single day. Paddy's like, look, there's proof that the Earth is flat right over there. And I'm too busy looking at a cute dog. And then by yeah, the time like, I turn around, they've 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 got rid of the the proof of flat Earth. All the reptilians the, have moved on. The horizon, like, come on! The flat horizon I was showing you has somehow reshaped itself into a slight curve while you were looking away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that slight moment where you can see the little bit of string that the moon's on, and yeah. it like slightly shifts so it's n- no longer visible. That kind of thing. 
No, the stick. You mean the moon on a stick? The stick. <laughs> moon on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, rating. How are we gonna How are we gonna rate this? Oh, I don't know. It's a difficult one. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? How, how many extra potatoes are in your mutton biryani? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I have got I have got 18 additional potatoes in my mutton biryani. That's high. That's that's very yeah. that's very high. This is good. I I think of this earlier this week I had the idea that I'm going to start a table to keep track of all our our scores and stuff. And like make it like a chart because now this is our 36th episode so we've got quite a few quite a few in there i'll be interested to see which ones are on top and which are on bottom um i'm going to give it a 17 i think i maybe the ending and stuff the ending just kind of was a bit that was the only thing i didn't like i really really liked it but yeah i don't know if i could go quite as high as 18 but but still 17 pretty high yeah no that's still uh that's still pretty massive it's only three um, shows. You enjoyed it? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was nice to watch something that we both really enjoyed and to enthuse about it rather than to shit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is often the case. Yeah, but I think yeah. I think generally we're quite positive, aren't we? When oh yeah, something that we hate. Even I think I think I don't think either of us really liked Love and Other Drugs at all, but we were still able to pull out positive things from it. Definitely. And even even with the yeah. bridges of Madison County, I think you you were able to be positive about a lot of elements, including Clint Eastwood's crying face and a few other things. So no, I, th- I think we're generally very positive. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So your choice next. Yeah, it is, <laughs> um, and I'm not going far back in time; just a little bit back in time. Um, for the next movie, um, and we will be watching Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Ah, okay, good choice. I I've seen it a couple of times. I think um, always, yeah, always thought it was quite funny. But yeah, that's a good one because I think it was very very popular at the time. Um, but I don't know, either hasn't endured or I don't know. You don't hear much about it anymore, do you? No, it's not. It's not had the long legacy of. Um of like Anchorman or Knocked Up um, yeah. where like those movies have gone on to become like staples of a, like a comedy movie night um, whereas I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall is just as good if not better and comes at it from a very different angle and has a very different tone so I'm intrigued to see uh, what you think of it re-watching it after mm-hmm. a, a bit of time cool yeah that's, that's a very very good idea I'm looking forward to watching that Excellent. Cool. So yeah, I think we're I think we're done. But as always, you can uh, you can email us bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at bigboysdon'tpod. No one's yet challenged me too much on my dislike of Radiohead, which was revealed in last week's episode. So you know, you can <laughs> you can Radiohead explain to me if you want on the Twitter. <laughs> Tom, you explain. You're explaining. <laughs> Whoa, here they come. They're the York Splainers. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll um we'll be back next week to talk about forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. Alrighty. Alrighty. Go, bye bye. Go watch the big sick.
Yeah, watch it. Watch it all be mad. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.